0: Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill podcast at Rock Hill. We're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's word applies to our everyday lives. Anybody thankful today for the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ? No matter what we might be going through, Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. He is our solid rock. So when the storms of life come, and they will, and when the rain comes and when the waves come, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is our hope today. And he is our strong foundation. It's gonna be a great day today, do you believe it? How about the kids choir today? That was awesome. I'm looking forward to getting into God's Word today, and it's going to be a great time together, and uh, if you're ready to get into God's Word, would you say amen? Thank you so much for being here today. You can find a seat. If you have a Bible this morning, if you'd go to the New Testament Gospel of Luke, and if you don't have a Bible today, that is all right. We'll have most of the verses on the screen so you can follow along. Last week we started a brand new collection of messages that we're calling Down to Earth and we're studying the incarnation of Jesus and why God sent his only begotten son down to earth and what is the Christmas season really all about and what does the incarnation mean to us and what are the theological implications from that. And last week we studied Galatians chapter number four, and uh, that beautiful passage that says, "When the fullness of time was come." And we learned last week that our God is always right on schedule, and sometimes God's timing is not our timing, but we know that God's timing is perfect, and we can trust in His timing. And today I'd like to bring a message that I'm calling this: "Not what I thought." Not what I thought. Everybody, look to your neighbor and say, "Not what I thought." Turn to your second choice and say, "Not what I thought." Luke chapter number 2, and we'll read a very familiar passage today, but I hope that it'll be an encouragement to you. Luke chapter number 2, verse number 1, the Bible says this, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. And God, thank you for just the work that you're doing in our midst and in our church. Thank you for the children that sang just a moment ago and and, uh, their family that uh, are represented here today. God, thank you for the songs that we've sung that have directed our hearts and our uh, minds to you. God, I pray that we would remember what this season is really all about and uh, what the incarnation means for us. God became flesh. And God, I pray that today as we look to this passage of scripture, I pray that it would not uh, just be something that we hear and don't make any life application to. God, I pray that the word of God would come to us today and uh, that it would go through us, that we would apply Uh, areas that need to be applied. God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. Give me the words to say that would be helpful and beneficial for us today. And we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Have you ever had something in your life that went completely different than how you thought it was going to go? Anybody like that? And uh, several months ago, this past summer, we were having a vacation Bible school uh, for our kids' ministry. How many of you were here for the vacation Bible school? We had a great event. And uh, I remember we were planning for that event. We wanted it to be special and we wanted to make sure all the details were in place. And so we were talking about how we could decorate this stage and, and kind of what we could put up here to make it fun for the children. And uh, I had the idea. I said, man, we need to get some of those big uh, circle lights that kind of spin around. The kids will love those, right? And so let's, let's order some of those big lights. I wasn't even sure what they were called, but I was thinking we need to get some. And I was kind of envisioning their, uh, those lights. They're like this big, kind of above my knee, and, and they kind of spin around. How do you even know what I'm talking about? They're like just big spinning lights. And I didn't know what they were called, but I was like, we got to get some of those. And so uh, we did some research. We, we figured it out in the budget. And so we ordered some of these lights. And when they came, I was a little bit surprised. And uh, uh, Dan, if you can hand me this, I brought one of these lights with me this morning that we ordered. <laughs> Here it is in all its glory. And uh, I was, I was picturing something that was going to fill this room and something kind of big and, and of great magnitude. And so this is what we got. And, and, uh, and this is what it does. It kind of have, has a mind of its own. The only problem is we lost the remote and have no idea how to control this thing. So so it's definitely not what we thought, not what we were expecting when we ordered a a great big light. But um, um, it's definitely uh, something that we'll try to figure out a use for. But definitely not what we were expecting. A lot of things in life go differently than how we thought that they would go. Uh, Recently, uh, Elon Musk, he came out and uh, they did this uh, uh, Tesla did this presentation with the Cybertruck. How many of you saw the Cybertruck presentation? Cybertruck, pretty amazing, futuristic uh, vehicle. And during the live presentation, many of you saw it, uh, they were demonstrating the features of this truck and they took out a sledgehammer and they hit the side of it and it was like, wow, you know, didn't even dent. And then they said, we're gonna throw a steel ball at the window and it's a shatterproof window. And so they were gonna show how tough this glass was, this window, and so they threw the steel ball at the window and what happened? It shattered, right? Uh, Right there uh, in front of everybody live. And uh, that's definitely not how they thought that it was gonna go not what I thought. So often in life, we have dreams, we have goals, we have hopes and aspirations that go very differently than we had expected. Yeah. And all throughout scripture, we see that, that God is in control and that he has a plan, but so often we try to go our own route and we try to uh, do our own thing and make our own plans come to fulfillment. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 16, verse number nine. A man's heart diviseth his way. And what that means is that we make plans. We have, we have ideas of how we think our life should go, and we kind of make plans and, and uh, make directions, and, and uh, we set some goals, and we have some dreams. A man's heart diviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. And so ultimately, we have plans, we have desires, we have hopes, we have these aspirations, but God is the one that is in control. God is the one that is directing our steps every step of the way. And so often we get frustrated in life because we experience something that's not what I thought. Maybe it's a season that you're in and you thought this season would go differently. Maybe it's a job that you got and the job is not what you thought. Maybe your marriage is taking more uh, intentionality and more effort than you thought it would. Maybe the season that you're in is, is looking completely different. Maybe you thought that you would have more resources during this season, or you thought you would have more finances during this season. So often we can get frustrated when something is not what we thought, but it's in those frustrations and it's in those moments that we have to fall back to the Word of God, because if we fall back to the Word of God, we will remember that our God says this in Isaiah 55:8. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways, saith the Lord. And so if we could remember that, that God's ways and his thoughts are much different than our thoughts, we would remember this. Ephesians chapter 3 verse number 20 says this. And I love this thought. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Amen. All that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And so God's will might be different than what we thought, but it's far better than we could ever imagine. Anybody believe today that the will of God is far better than we could ever imagine? His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But his thoughts and plans are far better than we could ever imagine. But it's frustrating when it's not what we thought. We come to Luke chapter 2, and uh, we see the, uh, the very familiar and famous Christmas story. And uh, we see this, this passage where uh, Mary and Joseph uh, uh, go to Bethlehem and where uh, Jesus was born in the major. And we're very familiar with this story. We kind of know what to expect, and we kind of know uh, what's taking place here. But this would have been a, a surprise for Mary and Joseph how this all took place. Now, Mary and Joseph were visited by the angel. They knew what was going to happen, but how it happened was not what they thought. How this unfolded and how this came to be was very different than what they expected. And so we learn from Luke chapter number two how to navigate those seasons where it's different than what we expected. Now, I love Luke's gospel for many reasons. Uh, Luke wrote this gospel as a historian, and uh, uh, he wrote this really this gospel as an investigation. There was a wealthy man in Luke chapter 1 that we learned about named Theophilus, and he wanted to know uh, really about the person of Jesus. And so he hired Luke and funded Luke to go on this mission, to go on this investigation, and, and to really investigate the person of Jesus. Is this person Jesus really uh, who he says he is? And, and uh, did Jesus really do these things and, and try to, try to uh, uh, get some interviews with the eyewitnesses? And so that's exactly what Luke did, Luke as a historian, uh, as a physician, he went and he interviewed people. He interviewed the eyewitnesses and he wrote everything down and he compiled what is Luke's, Luke's gospel. And so this morning as we study Luke chapter number two, we are not studying fiction. We are studying fact and uh, we are studying a reliable and uh, valid document in God's very word. And so this morning as we look to Luke chapter number two, what I'd like to do is I'd like to give us three principles to remember when life is not what we thought. Are you ready today? Three principles to remember when life is not what you thought. Number one, First principle, remember that God is the author of your story. God is the author of your story. Notice verse number one in our text today. It says this, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And so in this first verse we're introduced to someone named Caesar Augustus Caesar Augustus was the most powerful man in the world at this time in history and the Roman Empire had so vastly conquered the known world when it says uh, that the decree went out to all the world It was basically all of civilization that Caesar Augustus was in control of Caesar Augustus had a great uncle who you might be familiar with his name is Julius Caesar and so Caesar Augustus was a very powerful man who had great influence. Just to give you kind of an idea of the kind of influence that these men had, our month July is named after Julius Caesar, and our month August is named after Caesar Augustus from Luke chapter number 2. And so these men had, had a great influence, and they had great power and control, and Caesar Augustus let it get to his head. Uh, Caesar Augustus was a, was a proud man. In fact, uh, one commentator, G. Campbell Morgan, he says this about Augustus. He says, uh, when this man became imperator... And the matter was under discussion as to what title he should assume. He declined to be called dictator, which suggested a temporary office. He declined to be called king, as it did not signify enough. In consultation with the Roman Senate, this name, Augustus, was created for him. And the name Augustus means exalted, the exalted one. And so here's Caesar Augustus, this man from Luke chapter number two, and they're trying to figure out what are we going to call Caesar Augustus. And he's thinking, you know, Huh, you know, how about king? You want to be called king? He's like, no, that's not enough. How about emperor? No, that's not enough. How about we make this altogether new word for you, uh, Caesar Augustus? It means the exalted one. And he's like, that's, that sounds good. That's the one that I want. And so they create this new word, Augustus meaning exalted one. And so in the mind of Caesar Augustus, his name was a name that was above every other name. And it's only ironic and in God's timing that there was a child born during his reign that truly is a name that is above every name and that is the name of Jesus Christ. So Augustus comes along and he is the exalted one, but Jesus truly is the exalted one. The Bible says this in Philippians, wherefore God hath also highly exalted him. Everybody say exalted and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can I just remind you today that Jesus is the only exalted one, that Jesus is the only king forever, and that Jesus is the only name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. It's the name of Jesus Christ. But we all have a little bit of Caesar Augustus in us. We all have this natural human tendency to drift towards self-exaltation. Where it becomes quickly about our ideas, our our agenda, my life, my plans. It's all about me and what I want to do. But the Bible makes it very clear in Luke chapter 18, verse number 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone, watch this, that exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And so as you study scripture, you quickly learn that wherever there is self-exaltation, that quickly leads to self-destruction. And so when we start to prioritize our wants, our needs, our desires, our aspirations above the will of God, we are in dangerous territory. Caesar Augustus was a proud man. He was the exalted one. And then we go to verse number three, and the Bible says this, and all went to be taxed everyone into his own city and so we learned that uh, there is this taxation that's taking place the the word taxed in these verses carries the idea of a census that was taking place uh, a registration so they were gathering all the people together they wanted to know how many soldiers there was uh, that there was in the Roman empire how many people and so there was this taxation that was taking place uh, a census i remember when i was in college i applied for uh, the census bureau and i uh, i wanted to get the census bureau job because somebody told me that uh, it paid a lot of money and so i went in i filled out the application and, uh, and uh, I filled out the paperwork, and I took a little test, and they did not hire me. I did not get the job, which is unfortunate because I believe I would have been a great census data collector, and I would have been great at that, and I could have had a, a great career in, in census collecting data. And, uh, and, but this was the idea. That all went to be taxed. There was a census that was taking place, everyone into his own city. Now, when the Bible says everyone into his own city, that was a very important and significant detail. Because this meant that, 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 that Joseph and Mary would go back to Bethlehem, the house of David. That, that, that's where uh, he would go to. And so this was completing an Old Testament prophecy and fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy written some 600, 700 years uh, before Luke chapter number 2. It says this in Micah chapter 5 verse number 2. But thou Bethlehem though thou be little among the thousands of judah yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be the ruler israel whose goings forth have been from old from everlasting and so this prophecy was concerning the birth of the coming messiah of jesus christ where was he to be born in bethlehem and so really what caesar augustus was doing was he thought he was accomplishing his own will he thought that he was uh, gathering data and he thought that he was going to have this census that that would lead to more money and more power but ultimately it was god who is in control ultimately God was working out his plan. Ultimately, God is the author of your story. We might think that we're making plans and we're in control and we're in charge, but ultimately it is God who is the author of our story. And I love that God is moving the entire known world for two people. He, he is moving All of this into place in his sovereignty and his providential hand, all for the fulfillment of this one prophecy. H.A. Ironside, he put it this way, God set the whole world in motion, millions of people going to their own cities to be enrolled for the taxation in order that one prophecy in the Old Testament might be fulfilled on time. See what Caesar meant for evil, God meant for good. God is in control. God is the author of your story. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know That all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. See, God is the author of your story. God is the author and the finisher of our faith. Hey, he is in control. But even though we know that God is the author, and even though we believe that God is the author and the finisher of our faith, why is it then that we are so busy trying to write our own narrative and write our own story if God is the author? A minute ago I mentioned uh, Elon Musk. And uh, Tesla and, and, uh, and uh, that live presentation. And uh, it's interesting, in 2017, there was a book written about Elon Musk, his biography written by an author whose name is Ashley Vance. And she tells in the book kind of their initial discussions and negotiations with the book, how they have a met together at a nice restaurant. They were kind of going over the terms of this book and, and uh, what she would include and what uh, she wouldn't include. And, and uh, she says that Elon Musk was adamant that he would be able to read a copy before it went to print. And, uh, and uh, he wanted to be able to correct some things and he wanted to be able to, to change some things. And she said, that's not how it works. We can't do that. I can't do that. That's not how uh, writing a biography works. I have to tell him an honest account. And then she said this in the book she said musk wanted a measure of control over his own life story and i thought about that and i thought don't we all we want to be able to control the narrative we want to be able to control the details of our lives but so often god will put us in a, c- a scenario that is outside of our control to show us that he is in control He is the author of our story, and so it it looked like uh, Mary and Joseph were just traveling to Bethlehem, and it looked like Caesar was the exalted one. He was the one that was in control, but ultimately, God was navigating the scene to accomplish his purpose in his timing, and so we see that God is in control. God is the author of our story. Number two, this leads us to our second thought today. If you're still with me, would you say amen? Amen. Number two, not every inconvenience is an interruption. Not every inconvenience is an interruption. This would have been a major inconvenience for Mary and Joseph. And uh, they were already going through a lot during this time. I mean, imagine the angel coming to Mary and saying, you're going to conceive, and, uh, and uh, uh, you're going to bring forth the Son of God. And, and, uh, and uh, Mary was thinking, I'm a virgin. I haven't been with any man." And then Joseph's thinking, what are people going to think about us? And so their relationship, they were just teenagers, by the way. Uh, their relationship was already considered scandalous. There was already some people talking about them, and rumors had begun to spread about them. And now they have to make this journey all the way to Bethlehem. This was not a convenient season. This was not convenient. Uh, a few months ago, Katie and I, uh, we were talking, and I was not having the best attitude about something, and, and uh, we were kind of having this discussion, and uh, Katie said to me, you know what? You know what your problem is? She said, you don't like inconvenience, and I thought about that, and I was like, man, you know, I kind of felt convicted for a moment, like she's right, and then I was thinking, Wait a second. Nobody likes inconvenience. That's why it's an inconvenience. And uh, she said, you don't like inconvenience. But, you know, the truth is nobody really likes to be inconvenienced. We don't like inconvenient seasons. And our culture has so conditioned us for convenience that when we're not in a season of convenience, we think that we did something wrong or there's something going on that's wrong. But not every inconvenience is an interruption. Right. And uh, I was looking this, this season on Amazon if you want to buy some uh, products uh, that would help in your life to bring some convenience. There's some great products that you can buy for gifts this year if you're looking uh, for a stocking stuffer. I brought a, a couple with me to uh, uh, to show this morning. First, you can buy a self-stirring coffee mug. And so if you don't like to stir that creamer in, hey, just get the self-stirring one, right? I mean, yeah, it's, it's difficult. You know, the struggle is real. Self-stirring coffee mug, you can get that. You can also get uh, dust mop slippers. And so if you just don't really like dust on the floor, just, hey, put the slippers on. Just walk around. I think that's genius, multitasking. And last but not least, if you want to get a toilet paper retractor and extender, just in case the reach is a little bit too far, you can just bring that thing out. So there you go. I'm not seeing you guys take notes, by the way. Are you getting getting this down? We are are so conditioned for convenience. We love convenience. We want everything to be easy. And now, and and so often when we are in a season that is inconvenient, we begin to doubt the will of God. But see, for Mary and Joseph, this inconvenient season was not an interruption. In fact, uh, the inconvenient season was actually the will of God. It was the will of God for them to experience this season of inconvenience. And so I want us to see a couple things about this inconvenience. First of all, I want us to see their submission. Notice verse number four. And Joseph also went up from Galilee. Now, even though this was a major inconvenience, even though, uh, even though this would have been a hassle to make this journey, and even though there was already uh, kind of some scandalous rumors spreading about them, and even though this was already a difficult season, I find it interesting that Joseph did not fight against the system Joseph said, okay, if this is what I'm supposed to do, I'm going to submit to the authority that God has placed in my life. As long as it's not sinful, as long as it's not going contrary to God's word, as long as it's not going contrary to what I've been told I'm supposed to do according to the word of God, then I'm going to submit to it. And so Joseph also went up. I love what the Bible says in Romans 13, verse number one. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power or authority but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. And so we have to remember that all authority is God-ordained authority. And, And so it's not our responsibility to kind of pick and choose of where we submit. No, we are to submit to the authority that God has placed in our lives. And so often God's will is not about the size of our faith. It's about the scope of our submission. Are we willing to submit to who God has placed in our lives? You want to be a great leader? Learn to be a great follower. We will never be able to be over the things that God wants us to be over if we are not first learning to be under the things that God wants us to be under. And so we see that Joseph, he also went up. Joseph and Mary, that they submit. Adrian Rogers said this, We will never be over those things that God has under us until we learn to be under those things that God has placed over us. There is strength through Surrender. I love Mary's heart of submission, Luke 138, when she receives word that she's going to give birth to the Son of God. Mary said, Behold, the the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. She says, uh, Be it unto me according to your word. Hey, this doesn't make complete sense to me. I don't know how this is all going to map out, but I'm going to surrender to God's plan for my life. Be it unto me according to thy word. So there is this. There is this submission, but then I want you to see the struggle also in verse number five. It says this, and Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, and so we see God is the author of our story. He's connecting these dots. He's bringing them to Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy from Micah, uh, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so Mary is great with child. Now, uh, I know that we've had a lot of babies in our church recently. And so when we've had a lot of pregnant women, I know that the last thing uh, that you want to do is just make, make, a, make a big walk and a big journey, right? And uh, Mary uh, is going to make this journey from Nazareth to, uh, to Bethlehem. That was a 75-mile journey. And so this was not just kind of a quick little trip across the street. This was a major inconvenience, and uh, uh, there's a major struggle here. And uh, she's doing all this on top of all the pressure that was already on her life. Now, nobody likes to travel during the holidays anyways, right? How many of you traveled at all during Thanksgiving? All right. And uh, I know that there was a lot of snow and rain and all kinds of weather on Thanksgiving that a lot of traffic and the Wednesday before Thanksgiving ABC News did a story and they took a picture of the 405 in Los Angeles. This is what traffic looked like on the 405. And there was actually reports in ABC News of people that were taking off. Uh, the entire week of Thanksgiving, not even to spend time with family, but they said, I just don't want to be in traffic that week. So they just took the time off. And so we know that nobody likes to travel during uh, the holiday season. And so uh, uh, imagine Mary and Joseph, they're making this trip uh, 75 miles to Bethlehem. Not only that, it was also an uphill journey because Bethlehem's elevation was about 2,300 feet higher than Nazareth. And so this was an, an uphill battle, an uphill journey, and they're making this whole journey and it's a great struggle but they submitted to the calling of God during this difficult season. I love what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor, everybody say labor, No pun intended, Mary, but that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Say, it's always worth it to serve God, even when it's a struggle, even when it's an uphill battle. Hey, Mary had to go 75 miles uphill in order to see this baby come to fruition and in order to deliver the Son of God. But Mary was faithful even when it was inconvenient, even when there was a struggle. She said, be it unto me according to thy word. I'll do what God wants me to do. Jesus said, My yoke is easy, my burden is light, but he never said that it was convenient. Sometimes we see the inconvenience as an interruption, but God says it's actually an invitation to my plan. God is the author of your story. Not every inconvenience is an interruption. This leads us to a third thought this morning. God's path is always paved with purpose. If you're still with me today, would you say amen? amen? God's path is always paved with purpose. Notice verse number six says this. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And I love that word accomplished because God is an accomplishing God. He always brings his work to fruition. and uh, uh, it was accomplished. Uh, John 19, 28 says this, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith I thirst. And so Jesus uh, uh, always accomplished the will of the Father. And by the way, whatever God is doing in your life, you can trust that he will accomplish. He will bring it to pass. He will uh, complete what he began in you. And so we see that uh, the days were accomplished. He's going to deliver the baby. And this didn't quite makes sense to, to Mary and Joseph how this was taking place. And I want us to see two things uh, under this. First of all, uh, God was teaching them to develop their faith, to stretch their faith. Uh, notice what it says in verse number seven. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger... Because there was no room for them in the inn. And so what do we see? We see uh, Jesus was born here in, in the manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes, wrapped in strips of cloth. And, and uh, uh, this is familiar to us. But imagine the contradiction that Mary must have felt in her heart from what the angel told her to what she's experiencing. Not what I thought. See, the angel came and gave a description to Mary as to what would happen. This is what it says in Luke chapter 1, verse number 28. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. But there's no room in the inn. Thou art highly favored. Here's a a stable for you to deliver the Son of God. Thou thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast her mind in what manner of salutation this should be. She was confused. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And so the whole time to Bethlehem, don't worry, Joseph, I found favor with God. God's going to take care of us, and they get no room in the inn. But I thought that I was highly favored. There, there seemed to be this contradiction in her heart. And the angel said, and her, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great. And by the way, don't you believe that Jesus is great? I always love that description. He will be great, and he shall be called the son of the highest. No room in the inn. Son of the highest? Here's a manger. Here's a cattle shed. This is where the son of God is going to be born? Not what I thought. God was teaching Mary and Joseph to develop their faith, to keep on trusting, even when it seems a little different than you thought. Blaise Pascal said this, In faith there is enough light for those who want to believe and enough shadows to blind those who don't. He's teaching them to stretch their faith. But also, I believe that Jesus not only wants to develop their faith, but also demonstrate his humility. Demonstrate his humility. And obviously, we see the humility of Jesus in verse number seven. Uh, Wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, that word inn is interesting in the Greek because... Uh, it can be used a couple of different ways. The first way that the word in can be used is the Greek word pandochion, which means a hotel or a hostel. And so a hotel or a hostel would have a host there, would have someone to kind of check them in and uh, to kind of help them, help them out. That word is used elsewhere in the New Testament and uh, talking about a hostel, a hotel where you could go and check in and stay, stay the night at some place. But that is not the word in here in Luke chapter 7, in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. It's the Greek word kataluma. And the Greek word kataluma simply means an enclosure. And so this was not a hotel. Sometimes we think the inn, you know, it was like, you know, the Marriott, checking in. Oh, there's no rooms in the Marriott, but I'm a platinum member. No, it doesn't matter. It wasn't a hotel. It wasn't the Four Seasons. It wasn't even Motel 6. In fact, there might not have even been an innkeeper. If that messes up your Christmas narrative. Cataluma just means enclosure. It was a place where travelers would come by, and it was where they would put the animals as they were traveling. It was free. There was no one to check them in. Uh, It was just usually attached to a city or government building uh, uh, back in the back. And it was just simply an enclosure. And so my point is, is that even if there was room in the inn, it wouldn't have even been that much better. Even if they were to get checked into the inn, it's not like finally they got a, a nice mattress to sleep on that night. But God in the flesh sending his son to save the world doesn't even get the Cataluma. doesn't even get the inn. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich. God, eternally wealthy, takes on the most extreme poverty at his birth. Matthew Henry says this in regards to the humility of Jesus. He says this, He well knew how unwilling we are to be meanly lodged, clothed, or fed, how we desire to have our children decorated and indulged, how apt the poor are to envy the rich, and how prone the rich to disdain the poor. But when we by faith view the Son of God being made man, lying in a manger, our vanity, ambition, and envy are checked. We cannot, with this object rightly before us, seek great things for ourselves and for our children. See, we would do well to pay attention to the humility of Jesus Christ being born in a manger. He sets forth this demonstration of humility. Why? Because humility always precedes glory. And so we see the humility of Jesus Christ. Before there can be glory, there must be humility. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 11. The angels come to the shepherds. You know the story. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior which is Christ the Lord. What an amazing verse. What an amazing reference. This verse is really what separates Christianity from every other major world religion. Three different titles used for the person of Jesus. The only time in scripture, they're all used in the same place. Uh, Savior. He is the Savior of the world. Hey, he doesn't just save you from your anxiety and save you from your depression and save you from having a bad day. No, he saves you from your sins. He offers the forgiveness of sins. He is the Savior. He is Christ. Christ is not a, a last name for Jesus, like first name Jesus, last name Christ no Christ was a title it was a title for the coming Messiah it was a title for the anointed one God uh, coming in the flesh Savior which is Christ the Lord the Lord means the sovereign one the one who is in absolute control and so when the angels come to the shepherds they say hey there was born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord this is God in the flesh the angels had this great news this is the gospel message he is Savior verse 12 verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I always love thinking about this because in Jewish culture, when a baby was born, they would typically have like a group of instrumentalists. They would kind of come in and they would play soft music for the birth of the baby, you know, like birth music. Like today we would kind of press play on the iPod. Well, well now they would kind of come in and they would, uh, during this culture, they would sing and, and they would play soft instruments for uh, the baby that was born. Well, Jesus was born in a manger in the the cattle shed in the Cataluma, uh uh, jesus was born uh uh, out uh, in the manger and so he didn't have the opportunity to have a a group come and sing but aren't you thankful that in the middle of the shepherd's field there was a heavenly host that was praising and singing saying glory to god in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men and so what we see here is this the glory came but first there was humility god is going to get his glory But first he demonstrates great humility. And I just want to encourage you today in a season where so often we are self-absorbed and just like Caesar Augustus, it's all about self-exaltation. It's all about me and what I want. I want to encourage you to emulate the humility of Jesus Christ. This is why he came. To be the savior of the world. Luke chapter two is famous for there being no room in the inn, no room in the Cataluma, there was no room, but I think it's interesting that in Jesus's earthly ministry, he talks about another place where there is always room. John chapter 14 verse number one says this, Jesus is talking to his disciples. You can stand with me as I read this closing verse. John chapter 14 verse number one he says let not your heart be troubled the disciples were worried because jesus was about to leave them so he says let not your heart be troubled you believe in god believe also in me in my father's house are many mansions and sometimes we think of mansions like man you know uh, something in Beverly Hills, you know, some, some, some big beautiful house, and, and, uh, and that could be true, but in this context, the word mansions has a much simpler definition. The word mansions in that verse simply means this, rooms. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. Yeah. He's saying, hey, there's room for everyone in heaven see, Jesus is the Savior of all the world. He says, hey, it doesn't matter your background. The ground is level at the cross. The blood was shed for all of humanity. And so he says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. And even though there wasn't room at the end, Jesus says with me, there is always room. If we're not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So Jesus is talking about heaven. In heaven, there's many rooms. There's plenty room for everyone. And then Thomas asked a great question. And I'm so thankful that he asked that question, because if I was there that day, I would have wanted to ask the same question. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Now, Thomas had been around Jesus. He had seen him do miracles. He had seen and heard Jesus teach. But in this moment, Thomas is like, Jesus is talking about heaven. There's room for everyone. Man, that sounds awesome. Jesus, how do we get there? Can you give us like some directions? Can you give us a little bit more information? And this is what Jesus responds. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. He says, Thomas, you want to know the way? I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. See, salvation only comes through the person of Jesus Christ. It's not about being a good person. It's not about religion. It's not about bringing our best. It's about trusting in the work of the cross and what Jesus did for us. That is the gospel message. Jesus is the way. Today, if you're going through a season that's different than you thought, If you're experiencing something that was different than what you had expected, I wanna encourage you, keep on trusting in Jesus. He's a better author. He's the author of our story and we can trust him today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at Rock Hill Church.